What does the Greek word symbolo have to do with the mother of God? And what does symbolo and the mother of God have to do with you? Welcome to the Monday Muse. I'm Lee Benson. If you enjoy any of the content presented here today, you can find more about it on my Substack at This Roman Catholic Life or Substack.com slash This Roman Catholic Life. On January 1st, the Catholic Church celebrates the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God. The primary focus of the Solemnity is to commemorate the Council of Ephesus. It was an early church council that took on the Nestorian controversy. Nestorius proposed that Mary should be called the Christotokos, Christ-bearer, instead of the Theotokos, God-bearer, claiming that Mary gave birth only to the human nature of Jesus and not to the divine. The council upheld the use of the title Theotokos, affirming that Mary indeed is the mother of God, emphasizing the unity of the divine and human natures in Jesus Christ. Just basically upholding that the incarnation, or in the incarnation, Jesus is fully God and fully man. However, the purpose of this episode is not so much to explore the historical or the theological ramifications of the Council of Ephesus, or even really to get into the theology of Mary, Mother of God, but rather it's to get into the Greek. In the Gospel of the Day, I will at the Gospel of the Day, I will be talking a little bit about the Greek New Testament and the Greek used in the Gospel for Mary, Mother of God. So depending upon which translations you have, the translation for the lectionary that we use in our Catholic Mass is, is the R-N-A-B translation. But the word, but the sentence I want to focus on is, Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. So the word rendered reflecting in the lectionary is the Greek word symbolo, which might sound a little familiar. Symbolo is where we get our word symbol from. However, I don't want to stretch that connection too much because it doesn't say in the Greek that Mary was symbolizing while she was pondering or reflecting, but that it, she truly was reflecting, which is what I'll get into. So symbolo comes from two Greek words, a compound of two Greek words, sim or sin, meaning to throw, meaning together, and balo, meaning to throw. When I was taking Greek class, my teacher told me to remember balo as to throw because of ball. It sounds like if you throw a ball, balo, that's an easy way for you to remember it in case you've never taken any Greek. But anyway, so the word symbolo here means to throw or to cast together. The literal sense where we could take it metaphorically or physically is to combine things or to combine concepts if you want to take it to the next level. But what it means is it's a bringing together or a unification of elements. So let's take it a step up a little bit with our Greek. So the Greek word, the actual Greek word used in the gospel is symbolusa. So it's from the root symbolo, but the Greek word in that moment or in that particular context is symbolusa. Is the, bear with me, a little bit of a gr grammatical gr gr uh, Greek grammar lesson, but it's the present active participle of symbolo. So the present active participle, symbolusa, carries the idea of someone who is 
actively or presently throwing things together. They're, they're actively engaging in, in combining concepts and ideas. It's an ongoing action. So when the shepherds come and visit Mary and Joseph in the swaddling clothes, or Jesus is in the swaddling clothes, I should say, this term implies that Mary is not merely passively storing information or she's not merely listening to the the shepherds and letting it wash over her, but rather she's actively engaging in taking what they're saying and contemplating it and integrating it. So you might expand this a little bit further and think that Mary is thinking of the revelation that she received from the angel Gabriel. And now she's also combining a little bit of what she's learning from the revelation of the shepherds and what they've heard from the angels. And she's combining them together. Now, Contra Mary, did you know the song? Mary did know many things about Jesus and about what he would accomplish. However, Mary's not God and she's not an angel. So she doesn't have perfect knowledge of what's going to happen to her or to Jesus. So she is here learning new information that she's integrating about the life of her son and who her son is and perhaps even her role in this. So you might be wondering now, that's a great quick Greek lesson. However, what does this have to do with the feast of Mary, mother of God? Why are you picking out this one biblical Greek word, symbolo, to talk about Mary? So let's take it a different way. Let's take it symbolically. Symbolically, it is the woman who takes spirit and matter and unites them to create human life. So symbolically, she provides the material, the matter. This is why we call her mater, mother, matter. She takes the substance of herself and receives the masculine spirit. That's, again, another symbol that the man provides the spirit, the woman provides the matter, but is within the womb of the woman, in, her, in the center of her being, that she combines symbolos, these two things, to create new life. So it is the woman who takes the spirit, captures the spirit, and gives it reality and gives it life. Spirit is disembodied in a way until it is made material in the womb of the mother. So women are symbolically vessels of transformation. They take that which is pure spirit and give it life and give it embodiment. We could take it another way. This is perhaps a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to see what you think. Carl Jung has described the feminine nature as reflective, as one of contemplation. It's usually the feminine, archetypally speaking. So remember, all this is symbolic or archetypal or, or spiritual. So to say that you have a reflective nature or to say that you have a contemplative nature is not to mean that you are a woman, but that stereotypically the masculine is the active, the outgoing, the going out of oneself, whereas the feminine is oftentimes the more introspective, the more emotional, the more contemplative. So Jung posits that the nature of the feminine is to be contemplative or to be reflective. So two very common symbols of the feminine are the moon and the water. 
So with the moon, the moon does not produce any light of itself. It merely reflects the light of the sun. Same thing with water imagery. Sometimes the water can even be bright. If you've ever been at the beach, the water reflecting off the sun is, or yeah, the, the sun reflecting off the water, rather. It's almost blinding. But again, the water of itself does not produce light. The moon of itself does not produce light. It merely reflects. So again, Mary, going back to this idea of Symbolo in her nature, she's taking, she's receiving the light of revelation, you know, it's kind of maybe small r revelation from the, from the shepherds. They're not communicating grand revelations, but they're telling a truth or revealing something to her about her son. She's taking that information she's, and she's reflecting on it. She, she, she will then magnify that information. So what does Symbolo and Mother of God also have to do with us? So I posit to you that the nature of every Christian or the call of every Christian is to be, in a sense, small, small letters here, a mother of God, not the mother of God. That title is reserved only for Mary. But for us, both men and women are in fact called to be a mother to God. What do I mean by this? So the Latin word for soul is anima, which you've, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably mentioned myself say it, or I say it, or, or Matt, or, or, or Father Jonathan have mentioned this idea of, of anima. It's very popular in Carl Jung's psychology as well. But anima is in the feminine case. It's, it's gendered feminine. And I think partly this is because it describes or highlights the feminine aspects of the soul. The soul is that which is archetypally receptive, that which is dependent, that which has, that which I think best describes our relationship with God. At all throughout the Old Testament, God sees himself as the husband to his wife Israel. The people of Israel are always the feminine, and God is always the masculine. So now, with every believer, the soul is feminine in relationship to its God. Now, if you've read St. John the Cross, or if you've heard me talk about St. John the Cross, St. John the Cross always refers to the feminine in the she. Now, I, I haven't read much of him in his original Spanish, but in the English translations, the soul is feminine, the soul is she. Of course, one of his famous poetry works, the, uh, the canticle, the spiritual canticle, he refers to the soul as the bride, the, the, the feminine that is seeking union with God. And again, I think all of this is to highlight the fact that we are in relation to God, that which receives, that which is passive, that which is supposed to take God's spirit and integrate it in sort of the, the metaphorical, the spiritual womb of our souls, that by taking in God's grace, taking in God's spirit, we give birth to Christ in the world through our witness, through our, through our, our life of holiness, our, our sanctity, and our virtues, that we produce Christ into the world. St. Teresa of Avila says that Christ 
has no arms, no legs, no eyes, but yours. That you are, in some sense, to incarnate Christ. So I think on one hand, your life is supposed to be that, but on the other, you are supposed to take the role of Mary, that every Christian has the vocation of Mary to bring Christ, to give birth to Christ in the world. I think one very vivid image of this is Holy Communion, when we take the body and blood of Christ into our being, into our very selves in this seed form, and that we're supposed to nurture it within our souls and to give birth out into the world to give the world Christ. Now, this feast of Mary, Mother of God, falls on January 1st, the first of the year. This episode will come out on that day. The first of the year is always packed with many promises, packed with many aspirations and and ideas and hopes and dreams for the future. So the New Year's celebration often symbolized the end of one cycle and the beginning of another. In this sense, I think Mary, Mother of God, on the first of the year is perfect. It, in the sense that mothers are symbolically connected to the concept of birth and renewal. While there is no direct biblical connection or historical link between Mary and the new year, this is a relatively new thing, the new year does symbolize the start of something new. The, the year on a historical level, but on a personal level, we feel it as though it's a, a fresh start in a new era. So Mary's role in the Christian narrative is symbolized in this kind of beginning of a, a new era with the birth of Christ, bringing hope and salvation to the world. That just as Mary, in her, in her historical context, showed forth a new beginning and a new era, she stands at the beginning of the year to show us again that each year is a new, a mini new era for all of us. This new year stands pregnant with potential and hope. If you enjoy any of the content presented on this episode, again, you can find more about it on my Substack at This Roman Catholic Life or Substack.com slash at This Roman Catholic Life. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.